Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 72. The, well, a good portion of the crew is here with you. No Richard this week, unfortunately. So I am joined uh, by always Seth, uh, or better known as Saffron <laughs> Olive. What's up, Seth? Oh, what's going on, Chaz? What's going on? Chaz here as always. So uh, Seth and I are going to hold down the fort for this week. Uh, we will have Richard back next cast. So uh, yeah, going to miss Richard, but we'll have him back. Um, on the docket for today, we have, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, the recent SEG Atlanta. Uh, it was a really good tournament. <laughs> yeah, it was a really good tournament. Yeah, it was a really good tournament. Uh, really well commentated. Uh, big congrats to the Boz and Chris Van Meter. I think they're really finding their, their kind of chemistry there. And it's something that we've talked about on cast for quite some time now. It feels like, uh, about commentating and, and magic and like, and all that that goes with it. So really big props to them. Uh, congrats to Tom for taking it down with uh, a humans list. So Seth and I kind of wanted to break down the SCG and touch on Costa Rica and just a more meta uh, take on just standard in general, where it started kind of post-rotation and where Shadows of Innistrad came in, where, where we might be going on the eve of, you know, we're getting Eldritch Moon here very soon. And we also wanted to take the time. We haven't really focused on this a lot, uh, but we wanted to talk a more general finance uh, perspective as well on standard, uh, considering it's Seth and I, we don't want to talk Richard's ear off about <laughs> finance, but uh, we figured this would be a good time to, to uh, add that to the cast on, on the docket. And then we have some fish mail to address. So let's just get right into it. Uh, SCG uh, Atlanta, uh, the standard open taken down by Tom Ross. A really interesting take on this uh, mono-humans list. It always seems like there's like some new iteration of humans going around. So we're calling it white-red humans, where really the only splash for red is uh, Needle Spires and Reckless Bushwhacker. Some playing the uh, Reckless, Reckless Bushwhacker in the main, some putting in the side. Uh, but this Needle Spires, this four copies of Needle Spires in the sideboard is actually really interesting. Uh, so I wanted to hear your take, Seth, on uh, what you saw and what your thoughts are on uh, on this uh, tournament. Uh, yeah, I mean, the tournament turned out pretty sweet. It's a really interesting, and we'll talk more about it as we go along, but it's an interesting standard format because we're seeing a lot of the same stuff, but we're also seeing innovation within archetypes from week to week. So Mono White Humans has been one of the best decks in the format since week one of the format. It was the the breakout deck on week one. Uh, and the deck is still good, but we're still seeing these changes. And this week, the change is the splash for red for Reckless Bushwhacker. And it's, this is a really aggressive take on the list. You're not playing anything essentially over always watching mana-wise, and all of your creatures are one and two drops, mostly one drops. You have a, a really insane number of one drops, I think 21. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting. I don't know. I trust Tom Ross. He knows his way around an aggro deck. It looks weird to have four needle spires in the sideboard. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. Apparently he hates uh, lands that come into play taps so much. Like, it seems like such a free roll just to have those in your mana base and free up those sideboard slots, but apparently four enter the battlefield tap lands are such a big deal that they're worth going in the sideboard instead of just being part of the main deck mana base. That tends to be a card that you lean on when a lot of your creatures are dying or that's a, it's a more of a drawn-out game. It just becomes 
a threat that's actually quite hard to deal with when you look at the numbers of Declaration and Stone. There's not a lot of instant speed removal. So a Needle Spires can actually be really hard to take down, and especially if there's an always watching. And, I mean, you could even go further and just grif, Griff's Boon it one turn and, you know, swing for a huge amount of damage out of nowhere. So, yeah, congrats to Tom. He does know his way around an aggressive list. I really love the Bushwhacker uh, integration here, and it's actually really cool. I mean, like you said, Seth, there's a ton of one-drops, even a ton of two-drops. So if you get into that three to four uh, mana range, which is not always ideal, you can still do something with that mana when you surge a, a Bushwhacker onto the field and suddenly are attacking for a ton of damage uh, out of nowhere. So it seems like a really interesting and almost logical integration at this point. It's where we almost are saying like, why haven't, why hasn't this been a thing before? And it seems like that's been the narrative for a lot of these deck lists. Um, I know we've talked about this a few weeks in a row where you see these like integration of cards, like you said, on new, on old archetypes, just using new innovations. It's almost like, where has this been before? Almost like, why wasn't this thing like a, a thing for weeks now? And it turns out here we are. Um, these lists, obviously, uh, to people out there and, and to you, you know this as well as anyone said that uh, MTGO is a really good outlier for these new weird innovations. And if you double check a lot of this stuff, like blue red Eldrazi control, this this red splash humans, um, these weird like we looked at this uh, Hugo Terra's uh, Hugo Terra's blue white aggro list. These are all these interesting deck lists that like will 5-0 a, a league or you know go 4-1 and no one will really care. And then suddenly that's where these these players go to look for, hey, well this deck's really interesting and it probably no one's gonna be preparing for. Yeah, and not only that, but that's also where a lot of these pros are developing their decks and doing a lot of their testing. So I know uh Sam Black, for example, he played a Oh, what was the deck? One of the decks he played at the the Magic Online Championship, like a really high EV event. If you look back through the databases, you can see that in the week leading up to that, he had 5-0'd a couple of leagues under his Magic Online account with that uh, with that deck. So I think there's definitely a ton of value in scraping through Magic Online results. Uh, obviously, the metagame's a little bit different, and you don't... Right. Just because you 5-0 a league on Magic Online does not right. mean you're going to win a, a G. But there definitely is a unique connection between Magic Online and the paper metagame, and it is a great place to find ideas and find uh, new innovations on deck lists. Yeah, and it's something that we try to stress, and I think a good amount of the community knows that. It's just kind of like a thing where if you're not always checking, you just don't find this stuff. So it's always important to reiterate and to stress that again to people who are looking for new ideas. I mean, like you said, Seth, it, it, it is a little bit different online, but there's also really big ties to MTGO and paper. And a lot of the times those those really cool innovations start online and then actually just end up in paper – and they end up doing quite well. Like, I know for a fact this uh, blue-red Eldrazi control list, you know, really found its roots online first, and now is, you know, gradually become more and more popular. And here it is, it's, you know, top-aiding and quite a, a list to uh, play against from what I've seen uh, people writing articles about, that it's it's the real deal, it's really good. Um, so, yeah, I think um, I want to get your thoughts on just standard as 
that kind of leads us into standard as a whole. Do you think this standard is a huge success from where we started week one, uh, kind of like this kind of doom and gloom? We saw some interesting iteration, uh, innovations and, and decklists like humans, but a lot of it was banned company and even banned company showed up a lot at the pro tour, but, um, there was a lot of different narratives there. Do you feel like this standard, um, going into Eldritch Moon is a huge success? Is this part of this two block cadence? Is that taking a, you know, a, a foothold into how successful this is? Um, I'm not going to say it's a huge success, but I think it is a success and it's a, it's a decent standard format. I think for me, we are seeing a lot of the same things. Like a lot of the decks that we're seeing winning tournaments and performing well have been there since the beginning of the format or they are innovating and changing. Like there's certain cards and certain synergies that are really powerful. Collected company comes to mind. Collected company is likely just the best card in standard. <laughs> yeah. And like one of the best cards in modern to be fair. <laughs> I mean, it's just an all around great card, but we see even within collected company decks, there are changes. We see the, the yeah. human company take on the deck. We see different colors. So it's not just the same thing that we saw in week one. So it, it, that's the part that's interesting to me. We haven't seen a whole lot of brand new things. Almost all of the really successful decks that we've been seeing are humans, collected company, or Eldrazi related. Probably right. 80% of the decks. But there's a ton of variation within those archetypes, and standard is constantly changing within those archetypes, which I think makes it interesting and makes it a good standard format. Yeah. I want to say I lean towards kind of a huge success in the sense that um, it, it definitely feels like these two blockades are gelling together. Um, and I think obviously, well, ob yeah, obviously this is what Wizards wanted. Uh, this kind of two blockades where things are moving a little more rapidly. If something does end up being broken, it's not going to be around for quite some time. Like we were used to these long drawn out standards of you know, Abzan versus Jeskai or Mono Blue Devotion versus Mono Black Devotion. Uh, so I think it's a huge success from that standpoint where it, it doesn't seem like these deck lists are just like, you know, one, two, three color good stuff or something like that. I mean, there's definitely some more variation and it doesn't feel like all the best cards are just jammed together, even though it might look like that. I mean, obviously Eldrazi Displays is a good card. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about this in uh, the finance section, but like, uh, Duskwatch Recruiter is a really good card. I mean, but there's these, like you said, there's all this variation and all these different ways to play those cards together. That it just doesn't feel like, you know, Abzan and I'll just jam like four Siege Rhinos or, you know, and then when BFZ comes out, well, it's still Abzan, but I'm going to just splash an extra color and then Mantis Riders. You know, it doesn't seem like they're just trying to jam every good card into the same deck. And I mean, part of that too is the downgrade to the mana base. Like it's not right. as easy to just jam all the best cards of any color in your deck because you're playing like Evolving Wilds and Basics as you're fixing now <laughs> yeah. instead of fetch lands and dual lands. Right. But I think that's true. One thing I will say with the two block cadence that concerns me, and maybe this is foreshadowing the finance discussion somewhat, but I wonder if, uh, we don't see a lot of tribal-based decks. We don't see a lot of decks built around 
the big mechanics from the blocks. We don't see madness decks, for example. Right. I wonder if having only two blocks or two sets in a block instead of three will make it harder for uh, vampires. One of the focuses of Shadows Over Innistrad to become a tier one deck at some point, just because it's likely only going to get those two sets of support, and then we're on to Kaladesh and artifacts, and there probably won't be that many vampires. So true. So we don't know yet. This is the first real set of the two block cadence, so it's too early yeah. to say that. But that is something I wonder about. Is is it going to be harder for those like block and set specific tribes and mechanics to really find a place in the top of the format? Well, certainly Eldrazi didn't find a hard time <laughs> to take over uh, certain formats, right? No, but I, I do understand what you're saying. I I don't know. Obviously, we haven't seen El, Eldritch Moon. I don't know if by the end we'll say, yeah, there's definitely nothing there for like a zombie or a a vampire list. Uh, to be successful. All I know is that in Shadows, there there definitely seemed to be a solid building, like a solid foundation where you have cards, and again, we'll talk about this uh, in, a, in a moment. Um, you have like Relentless Dead. You have uh, like Diagraph Colossus. You have all these really like very powerful cards. Just it doesn't seem like there's enough of them to cohesively put them together and say, you know, here's, you know, here's a zombie list. We already did see humans. That was a, uh, uh, success in, in terms of tribal, but um, yeah, you're right. We haven't seen like the the more based like madness list, a uh, very successful um, mechanic wise uh, list put together. Maybe we might never see that because you know that might just be from a limited standpoint, or that might not ever you know just make the take the next step into constructed. Maybe our minds might be changed when we get something like Metalcraft back and, you know, that's a little more easier to uh, translate into Constructed. But, I mean, I'm I'm happy where the two block cadence is now. Obviously, I'm seeing, you know, just just from the very preliminary two, two block cadence, I guess we're only at two, uh, two of them. We're concluding one of them uh, very soon that you're starting to see, like, the influence on Standard already. Now, hopefully... That's a continuing trend instead of it just starts falling apart. But uh, I kind of have this confidence where um, they are now really kind of focused on, uh, you know, building these sets and making them cohesive. Even if that didn't look quite right in Zendikar, I don't think that was a huge success. It's definitely a success in Shadows Over Innistrad thus far. And I and I have no doubt that uh, Eldritch Moon is just going to add to that and add all these interesting um, extra building blocks to these just built foundations of va uh, vampires and zombies and stuff like that. And probably the best part of the two block cadence is it is going to be much more difficult for standard to get stale because yeah. we have rotation so much more often. And I know that's contentious. Uh, some people don't like that. They think it, makes the format more expensive because there's more rotations and you got to buy more cards. But as someone who enjoys like following tournament coverage, following the metagame, more rotations, I think is an awesome thing from that perspective. Oh yeah, absolutely. You're not and Go I, ahead. You, Go ahead. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just wanted to, while I had the thought, I mean, you make a great point. And honestly, I wanted to pose this question back to you because I brought, uh, I was, you know, I brought it up to a few people that I was talking to. Not only is it, it, it makes it not stale, but, it feels like when standard is gelling and you have all these different archetypes, it actually brings down the overall cost of the cards. Whether you're spending more of them for the rotation, you're actually spending less individually on these cards. I mean, again, we're going to get into this, but like big name staples that would normally be uh, 
quite a few dollars are like under five bucks. I mean, or five bucks, you know, and just at least under ten. Like you see, like Drana, uh, Olivia, Relentless Dead, all come down considerably. Yeah, I I think that's true. And if you look at the prices, like they're not that bad. The deck, the mono white humans deck that won uh, the right. SCG event is like 132 bucks. And there's the blue red Eldrazi deck that was in the top four is under 200 bucks. So it definitely has helped with the prices of the format. Yeah. Um, any anything? Uh, I guess because we're kind of segueing into finance. Um, any kind of thing from a meta, uh, a meta perspective for standard, I, I think it's going in the right direction. Like we said, it's, it's really interesting to see all these iterations. Even though it's like uh, collected company lists, it still seems like there's new takes on collected company, which is at least interesting. And, you know, it's still good to see that week in and week out, we can see these little, like, curveballs, like uh, Hugo Terra's list. Uh, I saw that you mentioned that on Twitter, that it's actually really awesome. I mean, Dimensional Infiltrator and Rattle Chains is actually starting to show up quite a lot in these flash aggro lists. It's, like, awesome. Yeah, I mean, there still is innovation taking place, and that's that's the sign of a good format. We've been in it for a while, and there still is innovation. So that part is definitely exciting, and hopefully the, the new two-block cadence will, or two-set block cadence, will mean that we get to keep seeing this type of innovation and uh, the formats that are always in flux and constantly changing. Right. Now, is that an innovation or invocation of St. Trap? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I never thought I would see that card out of the, outside of Limited, but I'm in love with it. I mean, I, I really love this list, actually. It's awesome. And again, cheap. It's like, it's $200, which I guess is not really cheap, but in terms of standard, I mean... You're right. I mean, the cost has come down considerably overall. There's One of the interesting things about Standard is there is not a lot of instant speed removal being played. So you can, no. so in a deck like that Flash deck, you can get away with Geist of St. Traft uh, pretty regularly because you just play your Flash creature at the end of your opponent's turn, untap, and in a lot of matchups, except for like Dromoka's Command, maybe, they, they just don't have a way to interact to instant speed, so you're at least getting in one hit with it before your opponent can untap and Declaration in Stone or Ruinous Path, and that kind of makes it worth it. It makes it kind of a, a four-damage burn spell in blue and white, which can close out a lot of games. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so really interesting list. Uh, again, congrats to Tom. Um, it was awesome to see like these really sweet iterations in both uh, the Grand Prix and uh, the, the Standard Open. Um, a lot more green-white tokens at a, a grand, at the larger Grand Prix, but I guess that's to be expected, right? I mean, there was just a ton of company in green-white tokens. The scary thing about green-white tokens is that's pretty close to a a block deck. It's all Zendikar and Shadows, right. so that's not going anywhere, and that might be the deck that next winter we are thanking God that it's finally rotating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does lose... A couple things, but like you said, it, it doesn't lose that much. I mean, so we'll see if it gets to stick around. My guess is it's going to be sticking around for quite some time. Although losing Dromoka's Command is probably a big thing. Yeah, that's true. I think it'll change, but the the basis of a Sylvan Advocate, Gideon, and Nyssa, along with random <laughs> creatures, like, that's a deck right there. Like, that's the form, that's the... <laughs> Many decks. That's Naya Midrange is that same package with Tireless Tracker. There's a lot of decks that are built around that package, and that core is going to be around until the pieces rotate next winter. Yeah. Turns out Nissa voices Zendikar and Gideon are good enough 
for modern. So if they're good enough for modern, <laughs> it seems like they're really good for standard. Uh, but yeah, moving along. So we talked, we touched a little bit on this like here and there, but um, again, more of a meta finance uh, perspective on standard in general. I know, you know, soon enough that you like to kind of evaluate the current cards. And as we go into another uh, <laughs> release in Eldritch Moon, uh, we're going to get kind of busy here, right, Seth? I mean, we're just going to talk about this all over again. <laughs> but um, it seems like now is a good time to kind of just reflect, just you and I, on some of the stuff that we've talked about uh, and in general kind of look at a meta perspective of, of finance. And we kind of touched on that a little bit. Um, to me, it looks like when Standard is successful, uh, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of room for a lot of spiking because it doesn't. There's not like one individual list that everyone's gonna going to you know go in on very hard, and then all the cards spike. It seems like if a card spikes, like yeah, there'll be some gradual increases here and there. But it feels like if things are diverse, the the spikiness and the swinginess you know drastically goes down because there's so many options. Uh, yeah, I think that's definitely true. We haven't seen a lot of crazy standard movement uh, at all recently. We'll see as we have a new set release and another Pro Tour, that'll definitely change right. and things will be rearranged. But I agree with you. I think that a wide format with lots of different playable archetypes is a good thing for keeping prices stable. Yeah, I mean, I think you make great points. Like, outside of a Pro Tour, obviously that's going to influence card prices when a new set comes out that influences prices on older cards uh, that are still around. We saw that a little bit with Risen Executioner a while back. Yeah, and outside of, like, Nahiri, which I guess was really predicated on its success in Modern, there hasn't been really anything too crazy going. Now, in terms of, like, reflecting, uh, you know, I wrote down some cards. There's definitely some cards that we have talked about um, in the preliminary kind of uh, set reviews, and we looked at just spoilers in general, and we were really excited about a lot of cards. Um, obviously, the the one that stands out to me that I can reflect on and I guess didn't really evaluate as well as I had hoped is Nahiri. And while we didn't say Nahiri was bad in any sense, we didn't think it was going to be this successful. So, uh, you know, I just... Is it good to kind of reflect on that? And I guess when you learn... You know, you take that and learn for going forward that you kind of need to, I guess, sit down and, and evaluate a little more. Not that we didn't, but um, it just seems like sometimes these cards slip through the crack. And I guess they always will. Yeah, I mean, I think they always will, no matter what. But I think Nahiri is a unique situation. And for me, the lesson to take away from Nahiri is to make sure to pay att more attention to older formats like that. Yeah. That's the deal breaker. When for me, if I see a four mana planeswalker, I automatically assume that it's for standard only. You can count right. on one hand the number of four mana planeswalkers that are real staples in modern or legacy, and it's like yeah. Jace the Mind Sculptor and maybe like some fringe stuff in other decks. So that's a pretty high bar to get over. So I think when I saw Nahiri, I assumed, yeah, I mean it's it's a planeswalker, it loots, like it's okay in standard, but I didn't really take time to consider it in modern and think about how the loyalty adds up and how it's only two turns until you're emer emercling someone with haste. 
Yeah. Uh, so I think that's the lesson is to while there's rules of thumb which are beneficial and you're gonna make more money by assuming four mana planeswalkers aren't modern playable and not buying our sets at fifty dollars right. than yeah. you are always assuming they are playable. There are exceptions to these rules and here is an exception, yeah. so it's worth taking the time to evaluate the cards, I guess. I think I just skimmed right over it. I was like, okay, it's four mana, red, white, not playable in modern, and didn't even take the time to really dig into what it could do in the format. Yeah, and I think that's really, like, I think that's a great uh, take on it. I think that's more of a testament where, you know, you kind of look down the line. I mean, it wasn't, I, and this, I guess, goes to show that most of the community was actually really lukewarm on Nahiri. No one was really pointing and saying, yeah, Nahiri, that's going to be hands down, a game changer. Like I didn't really see that out of anyone um, or enough people, I should say, I guess. Uh, but I think that's maybe just a testament to when you have an ability that's similar to an old card. I mean, when you think about it, Nahiri's ultimate's a really bad sneak attack, <laughs> right? Like it's a really very telegraphed, very obvious bad sneak attack that's coming like two turns later. When you realize that that sneak attack actually could be still quite formidable in a in a format like modern, even if it is uh, very telegraphed and obvious, there still might not be anything you could do about it, right? So um, I guess we didn't take into account that that it does have some applications. And you're right; these she's obviously you know this card is an exception, not a rule. Um, the, the bar is very high for four mana walkers outside of standard, um, but. Yeah, I, I think it's good to kind of sit down, reflect, and, you know, you learn rather than, you know, point fingers to everyone. Oh, yeah, you were right. I was wrong. You know, whatever. Yeah. Even though we we always tend to like <laughs> doing that. You know, I tend to at least try to sit down, admit I'm wrong, and, and learn from that rather than just trying to deflect that and say, well, I was right about this. I, you know, I think you get better from uh, reflecting on what you got wrong rather than tout what you got right. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. That's that's how you get better at things. And I guess speaking of lessons, another one is probably coming from Duskwatch Recruiter, which is oh yeah, pretty expensive for an uncommon uh, in standard. Yeah, two you know two to three dollar range. I mean, this is the this was another you know reflector mage type uncommon that just got not that reflector mage I guess was overlooked, but this one definitely was. And I say it was kind of like the Deathrite Shaman effect where it wasn't spoiled last, but it was spoiled like first. And we, you know, everyone just kind of forgot about this innocuous little uncommon. Yeah, and I, I think uncommon is a key word there. It's really easy to overlook uncommons because we're pretty well trained that modern uncommons are worthless because so <laughs> many of them are. Right. Yeah. So it's easy to see an uncommon, even one that, if you really look at it, is a pretty, like, on-curve and powerful effect, and just be like, yep. eh, it's an uncommon, it's not going to be worth anything. But again, that's an exception to the rule, and that's not always true. Yeah, and and this is one that, you know, while it doesn't look amazing on paper, oh, it's like, oh, it's a $2. I mean, that had a quite a significant jump than pretty much almost any rare mythic and standard. I mean, that was as big as a jump as you can get. And I, I think, again, this is kind of like, you glaze over these, it was kind of spoiled, it wasn't even really revealed by Wizards, it was, I think it was during that, like, week, it was kind of like a spoiled card, and uh, no one really took, paid any attention to it. I feel most egregious because it's a green card <laughs> that I overlooked it, but I kind of looked at it, and I, I was like, oh, this is a pretty good card, and that was kind of the end of it, I didn't really kind of 
go any further to say like, you know, this card could really be the cornerstone of some some decks and collected company. I think I mentioned it, but I didn't take the extra step to say, yeah, this is definitely a card you don't want to like sleep on. Um, so I, yeah, I think definitely a lesson to be learned there. Yeah, and I mean, for me, probably thus far, the biggest uh, miss I had was Relentless Dead, which I had is the best mythic in the set. Like, I I still think that's an extremely powerful card, but I guess there's a couple lessons that I take from that one. And one is it's risky to be too excited about a card without knowing the rest of the set. Like, when Relentless Dead came out, it looked awesome. And then once Declaration in Stone was spoiled, and that became the best removal spell in the format, it made Relentless Dead a little bit (laughs) less exciting, just because there is a really heavily played way to deal with it forever. And I think there's some risk in doing the same thing with tribal cards, just because you don't know the support they're going to get. And while... Relentless Dead is playable outside of a straight tribal deck. It, it can be played that way. Not having any enough real tribal support, I think, causes people to just overlook it. And it's not even really... You think of it and you say, oh, zombie, it's all about zombies. We don't have enough zombies in standard, so why would I even like try to build around this card? Right. And I'm just going to throw two more in there uh, on top of uh, Relentless Dead, which I also you know, including yourself, thought very highly of. And I actually still do. I mean, it's still inherently a great card, very powerful card. Uh, but I'll just throw two more in there in uh, Olivia, uh, Mobilized for War, and Arlen Court. I mean, I love Arlen Court. I, I still do. I'm always going to have a bias. But, I mean, these were largely no-shows for, you know, since Standard started. And I, I know we see Arlen maybe here and there. I know we've seen... Arwen played very fringely. I, I think I saw Arwen included in in modern. I think one time. I I I would have to double check. But um, yeah, I just I, I had such high praise for these cards, and while I still think they're inherently powerful, I, I just don't. These might be categorized as cards that maybe we haven't seen the last of. And while there's no there's not a lot of support for them now, there can certainly be more support for them uh, coming down in Eldritch Moon. Because, I mean, these are still inherently powerful cards. Yeah, and I think that's especially true of Olivia and Relentless Dead, which yes. have dropped in price, and we know it's already been announced that we're getting more uh, human spirits, vampires, and zombies in the next set. So there will be more support. We don't know if it'll be enough support to make these right. like Tier 1 decks, but they are going to get better to some extent. The question is, will it be better enough? Right, and, and they do stick around. Not that there's directly going to be, um, you know, that kind of support, like a tribal support in, say, a set like Kaladesh. But there, you never know. There's there's always that just weird, innocuous card that isn't really related that ends that could make these cards better. Yeah, and I mean, vampire, human, zombie, those are pretty evergreen creature types. So even a lot of sets have those. So it's yeah. not impossible that there's a random vampire or human laying around that improves some of these tribes in your sets. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that was a, a really good reflection. And I think in, like, I guess from a finance perspective and standard, uh, to me, uh, I think these cards have dropped now significantly enough that if you were to say, you know, you're waiting for more tribal support or something like that, I mean, $4, I, I mean, it's pretty easy to find a Relentless Dead around you know, for a deal for, you know, the $4 range, I think it's a good time to start stashing these away, especially like these mythics where 
they can really start to shine uh, once there's more support for them. Yeah, and I mean, with this new rotation schedule, these cards get two rotations, and rotations shake up the format. So basically, you get two rolls of the dice that maybe things fall the right way, and at one of those two rotations, someone plays it at the Pro Tour, and all of a sudden it doubles or triples in price. <laughs> yeah, and again, I'm not looking at this from... You're absolutely right, Seth. So I'm not really looking at it from like a speculative thing, like go buy 500 Relentless Deads, but... Uh, I guess I'm really, Wes really wanted to do that. But uh, from where we talk generally is in terms of like the, the value side and uh, the real, the finance side of you're, you're spending less on these cards now. Uh, they're really kind of bottomed out where you're not spending more on them later when, you know, you really are into playing tribal zombies or something like that. And if there's a viable deck, you don't have to now go out and pay $10 for Relentless Dead when you could have been spending for Right, I mean, that's exactly the thing. Like, you can pick them up now for five bucks, or, uh, and in the worst case, you can likely sell them for five bucks six months from now, because you're getting near the floor for these cards. And yeah. in the best case, uh, someone builds an awesome zombie deck, and it spikes to 20 bucks, and you're not going to have to go out and spend $80 on your playset, because you had the foresight to buy your playset for $20 right now. Yeah, I mean, and again, that could be for really any mythic or any, you know, high-end rare that you kind of see gets a lot of play. Like, even Tireless Tracker, uh, Declaration in Stone, all these cards can really, you know, kind of ebb and flow. And we've seen that in Standard, where these cards kind of dip down and they come back and then they kind of dip down again as, you know, there's more emphasis, especially around a rotation in Pro Tour where, you know, suddenly people want all these cards again. Yeah, You know, there's kind of a cool-off period, especially for cards, again, like Tireless Tracker. Still a really good card, going to be around forever. Um, and that, that definitely seems like a card that is, like, on the cool-off period, but could suddenly come right back and be, like, $8. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's even uh, more of a cool-off period than normal because of Eternal Masters. Like, that's where the focus yes. is. So everyone's thinking about those cards, thinking about can they get their box, how much is it going to cost them. <laughs> And uh, so instead of focusing on what might be breaking out in standard rotation, that's where everyone's mind is right now. Yeah. Speaking of Eternal Masters, I, I mean, this is, I guess it's still finance, but a little off topic. But man, did that, was that a, <laughs> that was a windy roller coaster <laughs> for quite a few days. I mean, they're all the way back down to like MSRP levels. Like I'm seeing like 250, 260 boxes, which I think the MSRP is what, like 240? Uh, yep. Something like that. Yep. So, I mean, that that took a drastic turn pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, everyone, it was those early spoilers. I mean, that's what did it. Yeah. It, it looked insanely valuable, and then uh, it ended up being like most Masters sets, so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Are you going to open a box, Jess? I, I think uh, if I can get my hands, uh, I, I'm going to see. Like, if there's, I, I, wanted, I wanted to kind of wait till everything completely cooled off. And they're kind of sitting around on the shelves. So, um, yeah, I think I'm going to purchase a box and, and crack it open. Maybe we'll put it on the YouTube channel <laughs> along with yours. Yeah, I think I'm going to I'm gonna crack People it open. People love box openings. Cross your fingers. Hope for a sweet foil force. I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Werebear. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine, oh, if you open a werebear, that would... Ah, oh, man, that would be... Cool. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm hoping... A very good box for you. You you deserve it. Well, I'm I'm hoping for the a really good box for you. <laughs> well, thanks, Jazz. 
Yeah, no if problem. I, the foil, the foil force of will. You know, some solid mythics. No world gorger dragon. Uh, <laughs> all solid rares. No, uh, I don't know. Was a bad rare. No uh, imperious perfect. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. You need everything good. Gonna get the the Sphinx of the Steelwind foil to go along. Oh, with the dual deck foil. Oh, or graveborn. Don't oh. even tell me that. That's oh. oh, that would be awful. Yeah, I mean. <sighs> I don't know. I'm excited to crack open the box. At the same time, I know there's a lot of variants, so I'm trying to set myself up for disappointment heading into it. And then if you yeah. crack something really sweet, I can be excited. But see, there you go. That's how I take. Like I, 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 I hope for the best, but expect the worst. So then, when like when it happens, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, sweet. I mean, didn't you open the worst expedition? Oh <laughs> man, Canopy Vista. <laughs> Well, I guess I honestly can't really complain because it's still an expedition, but, like, man, what a, I mean, I, I would have at least liked to use it, you know? Like, I'm never really going to even use a Canopy Vista. If it was a, if it was a uh, Cinderglade, wait, what's the red-green one? Cinderglade, yeah, right? Cinderglade. I would have been really happy because I n- at least know Cinderglade I can use it in, like, my modern deck or something like that if I ever decide to not play Affinity. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I will say, I will confess on this cast that Green-White Tokens has me very tempted to not play Affinity. Because you... I don't know why. I love Nyssa and Gideon. I just love that package. I love, like, that deck and what it is. Like, it's awesome. I don't know why. And green, obviously. It does, it does <laughs> seem pretty sweet. It, it, and I guess it feels kind of Affinity-ish. You got the aggro, dump your hand aspect. Yeah, yeah, you do. All right. Um, we do have some fish mail, so I will read off the tweets first, and then I will we'll get into more of the longer ones, the, uh, the emails. So... Uh, at Esteban Vasquez, uh, R, what do, what to do with store credits and MTGO? Should I buy cheap cards slash sleepers as penny stocks or should I save for later? Uh, either is fine. I usually try to use a small number of bots so I don't have store credit all over the place. Uh, and sometimes, you taught me that. Sometimes (laughs) I pick up random cheap cards, but most of the time I just let it sit there. The only exception is if I use some random bot that I'm expecting, I will never remember and never see again. Then I try to buy something just because I know that's going to go to waste because I'm never going to remember that I have it in some random bot. So that's my technique. Yeah. And I think it, what we talked about earlier in the cast kind of applies here too. No, I mean, a lot of these cards, it's a huge cool off period. I mean, I don't even know like what Olivia is right now on MTG. I mean, they have to be like dirt cheap, right? I mean, if again, if you were preparing yourself for Eldritch Moon, that would be a pretty good time to pick up those kind of cards. Uh, yes, they are very cheap. And uh, Moto is way more prone to quick spikes from tournament results. So picking up Mythics when they're at a low, it's really hard to not have a time over the course of the next year that yeah. you're going to be yeah. able to make yeah. a little money off of them. Yeah. Oh, another question by uh, Esteban. Uh, do you believe Force of Will or any other mythic will behave like Tarmogoyf in MMA? Which version will be expensive? So I guess that's more of like a paper a paper question. Um, no. I don't... And behave in Tarmogoyf is in they don't move in price? I guess that's what they're trying to say. That they kind of rebound? Yeah. That, they don't really drop too much? That's what I am assuming, yeah. Um, see, the issue is, and we've talked about this on cast, is like, how, like, like, are you buying a Mana Crypt as, like, do you need a Mana Crypt as much as you need a Tarmogoy, right? Like, are you buying four Mana Crypts, or do you need to buy four Tarmogoy? Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
Exactly. I mean, I think Force is kind of in yeah. the Tarmogoyf. Like, Modern is way more popular than Legacy, so you have that yeah. difference, but you do need four Force of Wills if you're going to play Legacy. And, and normally I would agree with you, but, I mean, Force has been on the decline already before Modern, or before Eternal Matters, no? Uh, yeah, but I don't... Uh, it was spoiled super early, so it might be because people knew it was True. coming. True. So I, that might be why. I mean, Force of Will's not ever, ever, ever going to get less played in Legacy. No, no, no. But So I don't know. I think if there's any shot of a card being like Tarmogoyf, probably Force of Will. Yeah, the I would say Force of one. Will, too. Yeah. Whether or not that actually happens. As far as the versions, I think the original of most, almost any card in, yeah. is going to be more valuable. Force of Will, there is an argument. People really love the new Therese art, so maybe some people are going to prefer the new art on, on Force, but as a general rule, go with the old version. Yeah. Uh, at V, uh, Shites V always sends us uh, mail, so shout out to Shites V. Uh, what is each of your favorite things about magic? Oh, we can't get Richard's take, but uh, we'll, we'll make sure to get his take next week. Uh, for me, it's, uh, probably locking people out of the game in really janky ways. <laughs> uh, I guess for me, it's playing really aggressive decks. I, I, I always felt in Magic that, uh, it has enabled me to kind of pick this play style. I, I love kind of how you can always just kind of pick this play style. And I guess that's true to a lot of card games, but in Magic in general, it always feels like there's multiple routes to take and they're, they can all be kind of successful and you can, really choose what kind of player you want to be. And, you know, throughout your Magic career, you can kind of stick that way. Um, so I guess that, for me, that's always been a really intriguing uh, thing to me, that, like, I can be this aggro player and continue to be an aggro player and have this perspective on the game from that lens. Um, and, you know, as you go along, you can kind of, from being an aggressive player, you can get more of a meta sense of how other decks operate, um, you know, kind of based on their interaction with you as as how you play. So I, I always kind of really like that aspect. Of I'm, I'm going to change my answer to resolving stony silence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Very good. <laughs> yeah. uh, at Cam Turner. Uh, hey, lots of people seem to be selling 20,000 Puka points uh, at uh, 60 to 65 cents per a hundred. Is this the beginning of the end? Uh, I, I guess. I don't know. I really don't know, honestly. I haven't I haven't used Puka Trade in a while. Um, I know people still have some success on there, and people ha kind of like still swear by it. Um, I don't really have a comment one way or another. I think it's a good tool, and it's still a tool to use. Uh, I just, you know, I don't know. Obviously, there, there might be like ebbs and flows and how effective it might be. It might just be like a downswing and could uh, re reliably come back. Yeah, I mean, you know more about Puka than I do, I think. Yeah. Uh, I will say that the thing that makes me nervous is the fact that some of the upgrades that were uh, money was raised for haven't come along. Yeah. So that that's what scares me about the future of Puka trade. There is probably a point at some point in the future where if the community who donated to the Kickstarter or whatever doesn't start to see some things, it could go really badly and lead to... At least a lot of bad feelings and mass yeah. exodus. Mass exodus, so yeah. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but that's what I would be worried about as a heavy Puka trade. Yeah. Uh, to, to kind of chime in on that a little, I, I, I did donate to that. And, um, you know, I would just say to be patient on that. I mean, 
what they were talking about is, I mean, huge developmental, you know, huge back end like software development and stuff like that. And that that takes a considerable amount of time. Uh, I know they're kind of I know they've made some strides to kind of see and, and or to show people what they and let them see what they've been working on and the future of the site. So I, I do appreciate that. I would say to be a little more patient. But uh, in terms of the the economy, I mean, we can sit here and spend another forty minutes on the economy, and it's not really what I kind of want to do. But <laughs> I, <laughs> I will say that I have heard a couple announcements lately that they are going to be giving away less free Puka points, like for yes. new account creation and stuff. Yeah, which I, hopefully I, yeah. will alleviate some of this problem, and that's the idea yeah. at least. I think what they need, and I, I, I've kind of been talking with a lot of people who, you know, we get into these giant, uh, I guess, not debates, but really discussions uh, about the site and what they can do. I, I think that just the site needs a more reliable release valve for their points, and I think that would definitely help. Like, if they were somehow a way to purchase a, a month subscription with the points or, you know, just a way to kind of, you need more release valves for the points. It just It just doesn't seem like there's enough. And, you know, I don't know, maybe it kind of just shifted away from what it was originally uh, meant to do. And it kind of got into this weird degenerative, um, you know, I guess, you know, quote, MTG finance, uh, you know, heavily uh, prevalent uh, force on there that was just all about, you know, grabbing up speculative cards. You could go on and debate about this all day, but I mean... I would say just be a little more patient, and I don't really know if that's the beginning of the end for the economy. I'm expecting it to at least hopefully bounce back when they start releasing all their uh, – what they've been developing. All right, so uh, at uh, Geek No Evil, when can we expect the Goldfish review of Magic the Gathering the musical? <laughs> There's a Magic the Gathering review musical? Uh, I didn't – They linked to an IMDB. Magic the Gathering the musical. I it was I did not know this was a thing. I did not know this was a thing. And I'm still not 100% sure that I'm not being trolled somehow. I, it, it literally is on IMDb. I'm looking at it right now. That's yeah, I I, I don't know. There's like Muppets? It looks involved? it looks like Muppets. Uh, uh I don't know. I um, I clicked on the review of it and it says yeah. uh, Magic the Gathering the musical exists. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess that's a good sign that it probably exists. Uh 6 out of 8 out of 10. Um, I, uh, we will try and make this a thing, I guess. Yeah, and maybe we'll, <laughs> we'll even perform some selections from it. Yeah, all right. I did not know. Thanks for bringing that up. I had no clue this existed. <laughs> you learn something new every day on this podcast, I guess. Thanks for the fish mail. Um, continuing on, uh, Gosu, at Gosu Gelbersack. Hi, on MKM, people were pre-selling Kaladesh boosters for $2.50 worth. Thanks for the great podcast every week. Uh, thank you. Um, I guess that that seems fair. That comes out to ninety dollars a box. So I right. I think that's a reasonable price. My only yeah. My only concern would be I don't like buying loose boosters over the internet. No, absolutely. So not. if you were gonna do it, pre-ordering a box for ninety dollars would be fine. So I would try to get right. a sealed box at that price, not just some loose boosters over the internet. Absolutely agree. Yeah, great point. Absolutely. Um, at Super Psycho, um, I know there's a thing with foil mythics on MTGO. I have two Nahiri. When do I sell for the for more ticks? I can wait. Oh man. Um, uh, this is all you. <laughs> uh, I guess towards the end, right? 
when when like before it rotates? No. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would wait and at least until Shadows of Innistrad is not being crafted and kind of out of print. Okay. So this fall at rotation, next winter at rotation, and then barring a spike around that time, I would be looking for when Redemption is like coming to an end because Mythic prices often increase a lot at that point. So those are the windows I'd be looking at the next two rotations, and if you don't get a good spike at that point wait towards uh when redemption would be coming to an end yep uh at mean mean pork uh what is your mtg blind spot what aspect of the hobby do you not get at all oh that's a really good question i don't understand why anyone would ever play affinity (laughs) man the digs (laughs) the digs today uh um i guess to that i will answer I, i don't know I don't get this whole uh, against the odds series. <laughs> I, I really don't. You know, I, I can't quite fathom why you, you know, want to be a masochist <laughs> like this. <laughs> why would you choose these cards? Uh. Who knows? <laughs> um, no, uh, I guess the blind spots. Uh, control. <laughs> what do I do not get this? <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess over the. I guess, like, I, I, if you've played the game as long as I have, you got to kind of know a little bit of everything. I guess my, if I would have to say my weakness and my blind spot, it would be MTGO. I still really can't, not that I can't grasp it, it's just not something that I actively like to use. And I don't know why. I mean, it's really good for, you know, producing videos. Obviously, Seth, you do that uh, very well. Uh, it really lends itself and it's conducive to that, but... I don't know. To me, it just feels like it's just like, I don't know. I, I just, I guess I don't get it. I don't know. I, I really love the paper aspect of it. I think if I was going to give a more serious answer, for me, one aspect that I don't get is how people can't understand that magic finance is not a dirty word and it's not a bad thing yeah. and it's not people, uh, tr- exclusively people trying to rip you off. Like that's, yeah. So I don't know. That, I don't understand it because it seems so simple to me. When you hear the word finance in the real world, uh, you might think, yeah, there's uh, some sketchy stuff that goes on at Wall Street, and I don't like that. But you also think of uh, getting a car loan to buy a car, a mortgage for, like, good things. But it seems like in the magic community, there's a lot of people that only see the negative in that. And I don't understand uh, exactly why that is because people grasp it in the real world but don't seem to grasp that in the magic, like, community. Yeah, that's a whole. I mean, we've we've talked about that a lot. That's a whole different podcast. But I absolutely agree with you. Um, and it's hard. I mean, it's hard to kind of let people get that. And I guess you know, people appreciate what you and I do, Seth. Some people appreciate you know what a lot of people do in this kind of. I guess when they talk about finance and some other you know folks, you know, some nameless or you know, a lot are nameless. You know, in the background, just kind of like I guess cabal or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, they don't really like the fact that they have to pay a lot of money for their hobby. And I mean, it's always just like a counter. I mean, any hobby or any kind of thing that you do is not only a time sink, but a money sink. I mean, think about, you know, how many, how much money people spend on like league skins or, you know, league champions or, or, you know, controllers for their PS4 or games at $60 a pop or, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I there's there's a gr- obviously a larger good side that you try to show people like hey, you know, this is not a, just about speculating and about buying like 500 of these cards. You know, 
if you want to spec, if you want to like buy an extra playset here and there to kind of fuel your hobby and you know someone else needs it, you don't want to try to rip them off, but it, it enables you to build more decks. Um, you know, go for it. I mean, that's kind of th- th- that aspect is actually what has made this game really successful in to some degree. Is there some feel bads? Is there some shady stuff that goes on? Is there some you know frowned upon things that go on? Yes, absolutely. But you know, there are a lot of great material. There's a lot of great material and a lot of people that put a lot of good time and effort into their, you know, out of their day to help other people be able to afford and to continue to afford this game when they make recommendations like we did early in the cast. Not that, you know, you have to go buy it, but like if, if you were in, you know, if you wanted to play zombies, you know, why not pick up a play set of Relentless that when they're $4 and, you know, who knows, it could be a $15 card down the line. You know, it, I just I think it's upsetting, especially as two people you and I said that devote a lot of time into that. Um, you know, to automatically get this kind of bad rap, and a lot of people kind of shun it or you know look at it in a negative connotation. Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> okay. <Chad>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, well put. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, at uh, Maxi Wawa. <laughs> Who makes money? Uh, I guess this, uh, this goes right into what we were talking about. Who makes money from Magic, Wizards, Sellers, Pros, Website, Streamers, Alterists, Speculators, any more you can think of? Uh, uh, all of the above, uh, I guess. I mean, if there's a market for something and people are buying, obviously they're making money. I mean, if people want alters and they're in the market for an alter and they're willing to spend that money, then obviously the alterists make some money. Uh, streamers make money from... From sponsorships, I mean, websites make money from people who write articles. Well, the, the, I don't know if this is the answer that uh, Maxi Wawa was looking for, but also uh, forgers, people who steal people's backpacks oh, from tournaments. Uh, there's yeah, because there's this market. It also uh, leads to some <laughs> sketchy things, not finance related, thankfully, but yeah. there is some uh, some other people that are profiting off the game illicitly as well. Uh, people selling forgeries on eBay. So it is unique, but I think you covered most of the legitimate ones uh, on that list. Also, you didn't specifically mention Hasbro, but that's another yeah, consideration because uh, I think Hasbro maybe sometimes puts some pressure on wizards uh, for certain things. That's something that's been trickling out about the lack of coverage lately is that maybe this is a, a budget-cutting directive from Hasbro uh, to Wizards. So don't forget that Wizards isn't completely uh, on their own when it comes to those decisions. Yep. Uh, a couple more, and then uh, I think that that'll about do wrap it up for the cast. Um, Robert Black, with the new four-color commander sets, what is the likelihood of seeing uh, either entirely new duels to supplement Legacy Lands or reprints of Fetch or Shockland. Uh, it would seem natural, uh, of course, that if Eternal Masters does generate new player interest and legacy, then something will need to be done about the man. Uh, I don't think there'll be an EDH sets, that's for sure. Yeah, it seems like kind of a waste. If you're going to print a really high-value replacement to dual lands, uh, I wouldn't think the commander decks would be the place to do it. Not at all. Um, and I'm I'm not even sure. I mean, I think a Shockland would be fine, right? Uh, yeah, shocks would be fine. I think. I think shocks would. I think shocks would make sense. I um, I would kind of be leaning towards various tri lands. Like four colors is a lot, so I would be expecting yeah. like the shards of Alara tri lands, the yeah. cons tri lands, 
Uh, things like that, I would assume, would be uh, probably normal. We haven't actually seen a set of dual lands in a com- a new a new set in a commander product, and I know Wizards has talked several times about how there's just not that much design space with dual lands. So I yeah. would be surprised if they were going to produce an entirely new set and use it for a commander supplemental. Yeah, this is a this has been a topic. I mean, they're really touchy about making dual lands, especially dual lands anywhere close to the original. I mean, not only do they not want to, you know, create the dual lands, but uh oftentimes this this phrase uh the the spirit of the reserve list and dual lands obviously comes into question and comes up a lot. So they don't even want to print like anything even remotely close like even legendary version of the said cards like just Volcanic Island, but as a legendary uh, land. So that's even off the table. Yeah. So they're very touchy about that um, in violating this kind of spirit of the uh, the reserve list. Um, Andrew Crowa, uh, I was so interested in the Eternal format that I built what is essentially Legacy Reanimator, but without the lands on the reserve list. Obviously, the fetch lands and dual lands work great together, and the duels aren't getting reprinted probably ever. Is there a viable solution working from the fetch land side of the equation? Say a land you can sag to get any land in your deck too broken. Um, I think they could come up with a solution looking at it from that angle. Hope this is acceptable form fish mail. Absolutely acceptable form fish mail. I just, I don't know. I, I mean, they've had, they've, they've made really, uh, I guess, more poor versions of the fetch lands in the past where they come into play tapped. The Mirage? The Mirage? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe they'll take another crack at it, but um, yeah, I mean, they're not reprinting the dual lands at any time, uh, you know, ever. So, um, I guess, yeah, if you were to look from a viable solution, it would either be, you know, you make a different kind of land that could supplement that fact, or you kind of cut it off and, you know, I guess make another different format or something like that, but uh, all of that would kind of be on the table. Uh, I will say that fetch lands that could fetch any land from your deck would yeah, be incredibly bro. I mean, people yeah, play top rota- crop rotation in <laughs> Legacy, to get to, which essentially does that, and you have to sack a land to do it, and it takes a non-land slot in your deck. Like, that would just be incredibly busted with Ink Moth Nexus yeah. and various... I mean, even just getting any dual land you wanted would be incredibly busted. So I don't yeah. think that's the solution, but there are things they could probably try to do if... Th- if that's something Wizards even wants. Like, do they even want dual lands to support Legacy uh, outside of the original ones? I'm not even sure that they want that, though. Yeah. Um, Martin Nielsen, I have a question regarding the prices of Judge Foils. I'm interested in getting a playset of Judge Foil Force of Wills. After the MAS spoiler and the fact that more Judge Forces were put into circulation from the Exemplar program, the price have dropped significantly. Uh, is a bigger price drop on the horizon? Uh, the reason I asked, I recently bought a playset of Rashad and Port Judge Foils and have dropped 20 to 25% in price and seem to have settled. No rush to buy Force of Wills and would rather win. I mean, I, I guess I never really uh, took into account the Exemplar program. I guess there's more copies of this in circulation. But, I mean, short of the reserved list, which is, you know, I'm not advocating going and buying up all these reserved list cards. I mean, you're 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 open to reprints, even if they are these judge reprints and more of these uh, judge reprints are sent out. Obviously it's going to, it's going to affect the prices in the, in the short term they might uh, drop, but in the long term, I'm sure they will, you know, trend back because there's just not that many judge force, you know, even in the grand scheme of things, there's just not that many out there. Obviously when you have a reprint, like in force of wills case, 
that 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 obviously puts a damper on things, but uh, I guess at this point you might as well wait. And I would be less concerned about your ports just because they already have a normal foil printing. Yeah. Uh, so Force of Will only had the Judge foil as far as foil printings. Uh, so getting more foils in Eternal Masters is going to take more of a hit on that because there's actually yeah. a second option. If you really want foil Force of Wills, you, it's not just you have to get the Judge promo. You can get the EMA ones. Uh, you already have two options with Rishin Port. So I think that having another like Eternal Masters style printing wouldn't hurt that as much as it would hurt something like Force of Will with only one foil printing. Yeah, and I mean, I wouldn't wait too much because, like I said, I feel like these kind of cards have an ebb and flow, and because of EMA and all the hype that's generated, prices are generally down. But as, you know, as, you know, we get another year out from these uh, releases, obviously they might trend back up, but you have to be careful now because, I mean, 2018 we might see, you know, assuming 2017 we see uh, Modern Masters 3, Modern Masters 2017, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, we would see Eternal Masters 2018, which would be Eternal Masters 2, and you could be sure Rashad and Port would be. So, again, you have to be kind of wary that these cards are now subject to reprints, and uh, they will do that. Yeah, I mean... So they're they're not a super lock in terms of investment, but I think the Judge Foils in general are kind of like a a a different kind of, you know, collect, you know in terms of... There's just not that many. Obviously, there's different art. You know, it's a little different. They're they're not you know your run of the mill uh, cards. There's just it's a little more rare at least. I I think the biggest risk would be if you got really unlucky and they reprinted uh, like Richard Import, for example, with the Judge promo. Right. Yeah, see, gonna... that, that would that and that could happen. Yeah. That could happen. In fact, I'm sure it would. But generally speaking, I think Judge promos are a fairly safe investment uh it definitely depends on the card and the likelihood of reprint but they're still going to be in demand just because they're super rare yeah. if anything i mean in the, at that point in terms of rashad import i would think the old border pack foil would be the most actually uh desirable right? i was just looking at the prices and i think it already is the promo yeah are like 250 and the pack foils are 550 yeah see i mean i mean obviously that's a little it's almost double, but uh, you know, or more than double actually. Two fifty. The other one's five fifty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More than double. I mean, <laughs> like I just said. I mean, I, I would think the better investment in all that would be the original pack foil Rashad import. Because, like you said, I mean, they could easily use the judge foil or the judge promo art in the next Eternal Masters, and I actually think that would happen. Uh, yeah, that does, it does seem likely. They have definitely done that before using promo yeah. arts in future reprintings. Yeah, so. they did that for Caracas. Uh, so, I, I mean, I assume. And even if they did print the old, like the, the original art for Rashad Import, it's still a new border. Obviously, you get the foil, and there, you, you still get that, that crowd of, you know, they love the original border and that foil. I mean, it is really nice. Really nice looking. So, uh, I think that's all the fish mail. Thanks. We did it. Thanks, everyone. That was a ton of fish mail yeah. this week, but good questions. Ooh, a lot of fish mail, really good questions. We we getting really good questions like every week. I know I say it every week, but I mean, there's always really awesome questions in there. So thank you, everyone. Uh, Seth, um, I think that about wraps things up. I think we covered everything. Yeah, I think we did. 
Yeah. So, all right. This is going to be Seth and I signing out for this week. We will get Richard back next week. So thanks for joining us. This is uh, a good portion of the crew signing out.